Hi, my name is Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot audio ground school podcast hello welcome everybody this is nick from part-time pilot the host of the audio ground school podcast where i go through the online ground school the part-time pilot online ground school lessons in audio for you to consume you know whatever you're doing whether you're running working out trying to save some time and learn flight training because we are all in some ways part-time pilots at least for now, before we change careers, if that's what you want to do. But we all got to fund our our pilot career and we got other responsibilities. So this is one way to make it easier. Today's episode, we are going to continue on with the section in our online ground school on weather theory, charts, and information. This is section five. So if you're following along in the online ground school, which I highly recommend, so you can get the written video and images and all that. It's a less it's a course step two, which is all the lessons and videos and quizzes. And then it's section five, weather theory, charts and information. And last episode we did last week we did estimating numbers on charts and interpolating, which were lessons ten and eleven. And we kinda it was a good spot to talk about how to use these charts because we're gonna start getting more and more into these aviation charts and weather. And also once we get into the performance of our aircraft, you're gonna need to know how to read these charts and how to get numbers for these charts. So that was a good episode. And also interpolating off of those charts. So if you missed that, go check it out. And then also check it out inside the online ground school and the video that we have, the video lesson that we have for those. So Today, we're going to be on lesson 12 of section 5, which is on METARs and TAFs. So we'll get to what those are, and then we might get to lesson 13 on PIREP. So we're going to get start to get to these weather reports and these charts and things and how to read them. So without further ado, let's get started on lesson number 12 of section 5 on METARs and TAFs. In regard to weather information for us pilots, there are so many sources of information that it can be a bit overwhelming. When it comes down to it though, a pilot needs to be able to get the surface or ground level conditions at their takeoff and landing airport at both the current time and the forecasted time, right? So when you forecast that you're going to land, you wanna have those ground conditions at the place where you're landing and where you're taking off. And they must be able to get weather aloft such as winds, temperatures, cloud layers, and pressure systems. All this information can be gathered from a collection of different sources that each have their own learning curve for how to read the information. Figures, symbols, and abbreviations must be deciphered by the reader and able to digest the information correctly. Let's go over 
the most common sources of weather information for a pilot and how to read and digest their information for use while flying. So that's what we're going to do in the next couple lessons, starting with METARs and TAFs. Now, if you're out there as we go through this and you're thinking, wow, this is really annoying. Why is this like a whole other language? There's some history behind it. You know, they've, they've used these old systems and they've just kept it the same. They've inherited, they've grandfathered these old systems that they had to, you know, they had to use through Morse code and, and basic radio, radio wave technology and communication. So they had to compress this information into the smallest possible. So they had to use a lot of abbreviations and these abbreviations are really tied in with, with the military codes and stuff like that. So you're going to see as we go through some of these like newfound reports and tools for weather are going to have a little bit different abbreviations than the old ones. And it's going to get confusing because it just adds to the amount of things that you have to remember. But unfortunately, there's not really anywhere around it. The FAA written does ask you to decipher METARs and TAFs and PIREPs, as well as sort of newer computer-based weather reports. Okay, so let's get to it with METARs. Meteorolo meteorological Terminal Air Report, or METARs, you know, I'm glad they have the the shortening and just call it METAR because that was hard to say, is a routine weather report issued at hourly or half hourly intervals. They are description a description of the meteorological, meteorological elements observed at an airport at a specific time. So that's the key word there is at an airport. So METARs are at the airport or at the terminal, right? It's a meteorological terminal air report. So at the terminal at a specific time. Weather reports can also be in the form of a speci, S-P-E-C-I, which is a special weather report issued when there is significant deterioration or improvement in airport weather conditions. So rather than just that hourly or half hourly interval, whatever that METAR, that airport generally sends out its METAR, if within that hour, say there's like a huge change in weather, they might issue a speci, which is like a special weather report to tell you, hey, the weather has changed a lot since our last report. So we want to make this special report to tell you about that. The format of a METAR and SPECI are very similar, and they are denoted by the identifiers of METAR and SPECI at the beginning of the report. A METAR or SPECI may contain any of the following information, originating airport name, issue time, wind direction, wind speed, wind gust speed, wind direction, variation, visibility, runway visual range, weather during time of observation, clouds, air temperature and dew point, QNH or pressure measured at airport with adjustment made to suit aeronautical use, weather during the past hour but not at time of observation, wind shear information, tr trend type landing forecasts, and more. Let's discuss each of these in a little bit more detail. Now, this is one of the lessons that it really pays to have the online ground school because I have all these symbols listed out and you can, you know, you could print off the lesson and you could have these symbols to go back and, you know, and and reference and look for as you, you know, you're doing practice tests or doing cross-country flight planning and you want to know what the what the METAR says or something 
I think it still will be useful on a podcast in audio format, but just so you know, it is all listed out here. We're going to go through them, but this is sort of a rote memorization thing where you need to see it multiple times and reference it multiple times before you start to, to really memorize it. But let's go through it. Okay, the first one is the ICAO identifier or airport name, generally four digits starting with a K in the U.S., so San Diego Airport, which I live close to, is K-San, so K-S-A-N. That's going to be at the start of the METAR report. Then it's going to have the date and time. For example, 212355Z, or Zulu. So the first two numbers are the day, so 2123. So 21 is the day of the month, followed by the time in Zulu, or universal or Greenwich mean time. That's what the Z stands for. So in this example, we had 21, 23, 55. So the first two numbers are the day of the month. So you just have to, they assume that you know the day of the month. So right now it's December as I'm recording this. So it would be, okay, December 21st and then 2355 Zulu. So that's in the 24 hour, you know, military clock. That would be 11.55 p.m. Zulu time. And then you would convert from Zulu time to wherever you are located. So, you know, whether it's the East Coast, West Coast, whatever that your time zone, you would need to convert to Zulu time, which we'll get to on how to do that because you will be also be asked to do that on the FAA written exam. The next one is a modifier, if present. Not These are not always present, but they could be, they could be there is auto, a-U-T-O or core, C-O-R. Auto means it's an automated station and core, C-O-R, means it's a corrected automated report. So sometimes there's stations at airports where they don't even have uh, someone there, a person there at a control tower or anything, and it, but they do have a METAR. So it's just an automated report that's literally just, there's a bunch of weather equipment, a weather station, automated weather station that collects, you know, rainfall measurements, wind measurements, pressure measurements, temperature measurements, and it just spits out an automated METAR report. And then if there needs to be a correction to one, then it, it would say COR. Next up is wind information. So an example without gusts would be VRB05KT. So VRB stands for variable. 05 would be the wind direction. Or sorry, so the first three digits are wind direction, okay? So VRB is our wind direction. In this case, it's variable, so there's not one specific direction. The second two digits are going to be the speed, and then the last two, KT, just tells you that it's in knots. So let's say that again, VRB 05 knots, that's variable wind at five knots. Another example would be 360015KT. So this would be wind from 360 at seven knots. And then another example is, let's say it's 360.07G15KT. The G stands for gusts. So the wind speed is 07 or seven knots, but it can be gusting. They can get gusts up to 15 knots. So, that's, so again, that's 360, that's the wind direction. 07, that's the wind speed, the nominal wind speed, and then G15, which is gusting to 15 KT knots. And it's usually always going to be in knots. I've never seen it not in knots. So 
Um, I'm not sure why they, why they put that, but maybe it is sometimes different. If the wind is gusting, the highest, so it's going to be the highest gust displayed after the wind speed. So let's say they got a gust of wind for three seconds at, you know, and the highest one that they had within that hour was 20 knots, and that's going to be what's reported after the G. So it'll be G20, 20 knots. And then gusting is just, you know, I, I guess maybe I should explain it a little bit. It's the, so there's the average sort of wind speed, and then there's the the gust, which, which can be like a variable high gust, you know, if you've ever been in gusting conditions, it can be intermittent. So they're not going to say that the wind speed is always, you know, 20 knots if it's just was 20 knots for like a few seconds, for example. So those are gusts. All right, next is going to be visibility. So there can be fractions and there can be no fractions in this uh, number. And it's going to show up as a, a, a forward slash. Okay, so that shows you that it's going to be a fraction. So like one forward slash two is half. And it's not going to be in terms of decimal points, right? So they wouldn't put like 0.5, they would put one half instead of 0.5 for the visibility. So an example with no fraction is 15 SM. So that's going to mean 15 statute miles. So the visibility will be 15 statute miles. And then with a fraction, it might be one space one forward slash two SM, which would be one and a half statute miles. So there's usually a space between the fraction and then the fraction as, as I mentioned is denoted with a forward slash. Then uh, example with a, a runway. So R36L forward slash two comma four zero zero this so this may show additional visibility for a runway denoted by R and the selected runway. So in this case, R means runway, and then the runway is what follows the R. So three six. So runway three six or three six zero direction runway, and then the L after that means it's three six left. So that that means there's parallel runways. There's a three six right and three six left when you see that L or R. So it starts with an R three six L. That means runway. 36 left and then it's followed by a slash and the visibility in feet for that runway so that runway in our example so is r36l forward slash 2400 that means that the visibility for runway 36 left is 2400 feet okay so next will be present weather so it may include one or more of the following. So this could this could be many, many things. And this is a long list of abbreviations that we're going to go through. And this is sort of what I'm talking about, where it's nice to have this to be able to reference for, you know, your flight planning or your or your test prep, you know, taking practice tests, whatever. All right, so let's go through these. There's different categories. There's intensity. So the intensity of the weather, the weather, the descriptor, the description of the weather, like what kind of weather, uh, the precipitation in the weather, the uh, obscuration, if it if there's any sort of obscuration to the visibility, and then other. So there's other types that don't really fit in there. 
So for intensity, it could be light, moderate, heavy, heavy, or in the vicinity. So in the vicinity, it's not. It's more like a descriptor, but I threw it in there with intensity because uh, it's usually shown in the same location as the intensity. So light is shown by a minus sign. So if you see a minus sign before any of these, then it's that we're going to go through. Then it means light. So if you see light dz, which we'll get to, means drizzle for precipitation, then it's a light drizzle. If you see no symbol before the, the abbreviation for, let's say, rain, which is RA, then that's moderate. If you see a plus sign, then that's heavy. So light, minus sign, moderate, no sign, heavy, plus sign. And then vicinity in the vicinity, which means within five miles, is VC. So you might see, you know, the abbreviation for thunderstorms, which is TS, and then VC, which would say there's thunderstorms within a five-mile vicinity of the airport where this METAR is taking place. So that's the intensities. Then you have descriptors. So we have shallow, which is given the abbreviation of MI. And don't ask me where these come from. <laughs> it might help to know, and there might be a place where you could look up, but sometimes there is a combination of like a different word that they use for that that we a word we don't really use today and then sometimes it's something that just doesn't make sense and it's it's hard to find a location where these you can find this stuff out i tried because i thought it might help with people's learning if anyone knows of a location where you know these descriptors these these definitions of these what where they originated like mi for shallow if anyone knows of that information, please let me know. Send us an email, team at parttimepilot.com. I think that would be good and help people learning if you can remember the original intent for that abbreviation. But let's get back to it. So MI is shallow. BC, Bravo Charlie, is patches. Delta Romeo DR is low drifting. Bravo Lima is blowing, BL, blowing. SH is showers ts is thunderstorms so those ones so bl for blowing sh for showers ts for thunderstorms those all make sense logically right the next one is fz for freezing that makes sense and pr for partial that also makes sense so the two that don't make sense are bc for patches that's bravo charlie for patches and mi uh, Mike in Indio India for shallow. So um, those ones don't make sense, but the other ones kind of do. So again, if anyone knows where those came from, shoot us an email, and I think that would be very valuable information. Okay, the next group is per precipitation. So again, this is all stuff you might see in the present weather section of a METAR. It tells you what the present weather is at a METAR, METAR station, and we'll get into the some examples don't worry but precipitation you have dz which is drizzle ra which is rain sn equals snow sg equals snow grains those are like sort of like little tiny snows that are almost like hail but not quite i ic which is ice crystals pl which is ice pellets so pl think pellets gr which is hail again i don't know where gr 
came from. So if anyone knows that, please let me know. But GR stands for hail. GS is small hail or snow pellets. So that can be kind of either or. And then UP is unknown precipitation. I'm not sure what that would stand for. Um, maybe maybe something like ash after a mountain exploded or something. I don't know. I, I don't think that would be precipitation, but it definitely wouldn't because they actually have volcano ash for obscuration, which is what we'll get to next. So the next category is obscurations. BR stands for mist. That's Bravo Romeo. Again, I don't know where that originated. FG is fog. FU <laughs> is smoke i'm not saying fu I'm, that's the actual abbreviation again i don't know where that came from like fumigate or fumigation or something i i that's kind of what i think i think of like smoke you know fumigating but that stands for smoke um then you have du which stands for dust that makes sense hz stands for haze sa stands for sand like a sandstorm PY stands for spray, like an ocean spray. Sometimes you can get real big ocean sprays that can cause the visibility to go down near if you're near the, the water. And then VA, which is volcanic ash. So those make sense as well. All right, now the other section, some that didn't really kind of fit into these, these sections that I, that I have here. You have PO, which is dust or sand swirls. I guess that could be sort of in the obscurations. Again, I don't know where PO came from. SQ, which is squalls. So squalls are, if you go back to our thunderstorm lesson, squalls are lines of thunderstorms. So SQ or TS, think thunderstorms. FC is a funnel cloud or like a, which is sort of like a tornado. And then uh, plus FC is a tornado or water spout. So FC is like a funnel cloud, like a little funnel cloud, which can have a, a very big effect on small aircraft and then plus fc would be basically like a a heavy funnel cloud right which would equal a tornado or water spout then you have ss which is sandstorm that kind of fits into obscuration but it's more i guess it more of the phenomena as a whole and then you have ds which is dust storm okay so those were all the present weather abbreviations I'm glad we got through those. And again, these are all listed out in the online ground school. So you can kind of print that lesson, you know, print screen on your lesson, have this to reference when you're doing all your work. It'd be really, really handy. The next, so we're not done. There, there's a lot more. Next one is sky conditions. So the best way to do this is to, to give you an example of sky conditions. So we'll give you so let's let's just get to it. I'll give you an example. So FEW or FU040, SCT060, SCT075, SCT090, and BKN220. So if you're if you're listening and you're able to write something down, you know, if you're driving, please please don't do this, but maybe write this down. So that's FEW040, SCT060, SCT075. SCT090 and BKN220. The first three letters tell the amount of sky covered, and the following numbers indicate the height of the base of clouds in hundreds of feet above the ground. So, 
The first, the different first three letters that we can see are SKC, which means sky clear. And that would be in a, in a, that's what you see in a manual report. In an automated report, they usually show CLR, which also means sky clear. So think clear or sky clear, SKC or CLR. That would be what you would see in an automated report. I'm not sure why those are different. Then you have FEW, which stands for few. I mean, that's easy. It literally is few. And if you go back to our cloud sections, we talked about what these mean. So few means one-eighth to one-quarter of the sky is covered in clouds. Then the next one is SCT, which stands for scattered. And that, that makes sense, SCT, right? And that's three-eighths to a half of the sky covered. Then you have BKN, which you guessed it, stands for broken. And that's five-eighths to seven-eighths of the sky covered. And then you have overcast, which is OVC. And that's total sky coverage is overcast. And that stands for OVC. And then remember, the ceiling is the lowest cloud deck reported as either broken or overcast. So in the example that we talked about, let's go back to the example. We said FEW040. So this, so remember the zero FEW stands for few. So there's few clouds at 040. And the 040 is hundreds of feet above ground. So what, what do we do is we add two zeros to that. So 040 becomes 04000, which is 4,000. So there's few clouds at 4,000 feet. And then we had SCT 060. And SCT stands for scattered. So then there's a scattered cloud, cloud layer at 6,000 feet. Then we had SCT 075. So that's a scattered cloud layer at 7,500 feet. Then we had SCT-090, which means we had scattered cloud later at 9,000 feet. And then we had BKN-220, which means broken. And if we add two zeros to 220, we get 22,000. So broken layer of clouds at 22,000. So in this example, if we saw that at a METAR, there's lots of different layers of clouds, but the ceiling wouldn't be until 22,000 feet because the ceiling is the first cloud deck reported as either broken or overcast and the first one to be either of those was 22,000 feet the bkn 220 so this is important because if you're flying vfr your ceiling has to be you know depending on your ground level and your ground clearance and all that your ceiling has to be a certain a certain amount of feet to have your distance from clouds depending on the airspace you're in so this would be good because we don't have a ceiling until 22,000 feet. So this would mean for a VFR flight, as a private pilot, you should have no problem of flying in these conditions. Okay, so let's move on. We have then temperature and dew point. An example of that would be 15 forward slash M01. This is the temperature reported in degrees Celsius followed by the dew point separated by the forward slash. So we have 15 slash M01, so 15 degrees Celsius slash M01. The dew point is also reported in Celsius. And when there's a minus number for either of these, it's denoted by an M. I think the reason they don't do a minus sign is because that is being used for the descriptor for intensity, right? So that means light. So they don't want to confuse you. So they use M for minus. So in our example, 15 forward, forward, excuse me, forward slash M01, that means 15, temperature is 15 degrees Celsius, 
and the dew point is minus 0.1 degrees Celsius. All right, next is altimeter setting. An example would be A2957. This is the equivalent sea level pressure in inches of mercury. So this is, so the A denotes altimeter and then altimeter setting. So that's 29.57 inches of mercury. So you just assume that you have the point in there, the decimal point in there. It doesn't tell you the decimal point. It's just 29.57. So the A means altimeter setting. You can assume the decimal is after the first two digits. The next thing that I want to talk about is remarks. So you can get a METAR report and at the very end, it'll say RMK. And that's sort of like remarks. That's sort of like other stuff going on or other information they want you to know. Like maybe, you know, this weather just started or this weather is coming in from this, you know, some more detail to the weather that you just got, the general weather, weather report that you just got. That goes in the remarks section. And because this is sort of open-ended the remarks section there isn't a full-blown sort of legend for remarks sections i've listed off a bunch of the ones that i've seen that are the most common and i will go through those now so but the remarks section is sort of like additional detail for your weather report so let's do an example now this is a a very long example i don't think i'm going to do say the whole example i might do it one at a time because not the best for audio but again perfect lesson to have an online ground school for so go check that out if you're following along but an example rmk space acsl space dsnt space se dash s okay so what does that mean so RMK, again, as I mentioned, any remark that may be useful, such as when a thunderstorm began or ended, the type of station that you're getting the report at, the sea level pressure, temperature to the tenth of a degree, different sort of stuff like that that the weather report, the weather station thinks might be important and useful for the pilots that are coming in and out of that airport. So in the example, we had RMK, so that tells you that's the start of the remarks section we had acsl space dsnt space se dash s so this is the type of clouds so acsl is alto cumulus standing lenticular clouds in the distance so that's what dsnt stands for distance beyond 10 statute miles that's what in the distance means so when you see dsnt that means beyond 10 statute miles. Remember when we saw VC that was in the vicinity, that's within five statute miles. And then SE-S means southeast through south. So if you're at the airport and you look in the directions from southeast to south spanning in that range, you're going to find in the distance beyond 10 statute miles, you should find altocumulus standing lenticular clouds. So that's something that you know this report because lenticular clouds can be dangerous to pilots over terrain they want to warn you about this and so if i read this i would want to avoid that area so that that's the first one the next example is slp 960 slp pretty easy to kind of logically guess what that means sea level pressure and this time they changed up the units on you <laughs> of course they did instead of inches of mercury 
it's going to be in hectopascals. He sorry, I said that weird. Hectopascals. And this is, again, a, this is the metric system rather than the, you know, American inches that, that we're the only country in the world that, that uses that. So it's a little bit different. So 960, uh, the way you know it's in hect hectopascals is it only has three digits, right? Inches of mercury, you're not going to see 96 inches of mercury. So you kind of have to use, use some logic. And 960, it's in tenths of hectopascals. So th this is really confusing. And I'm not sure why why they have to do it like this, but our example is SLP 960. So sea level pressure of 960 in tenths of hectopascals, but it's not that simple. If it was just tenths of hectopascals, we would just add a zero to that. So it would be uh, 9,600 hectopascals, right? But it's not that simple. It's actually 96.0. So we assume that there's a decimal place in there. That's what they want us to assume that. And then we, they also want us to assume that they have omitted a 10 or 9 at the beginning of the number. So this could be 1,096 hectopascals or 996 hectopascals. So you add that 10 or a 9 at the beginning and that's and then you take a decimal place away and that gives you the actual hectopascal so I, I know this is super confusing don't please don't get mad at me i didn't come up with this <laughs> let's go back to the example see if i can explain a little bit better slp 960 you want to assume when you see slpc level pressure and that there's three digits there, not four, that it's in hectopascals. And then as soon as you know that it's in hectopascals, you want to take the first two numbers and put a decimal place after it. So we have 960, so that's 96.0. Then we want to add a 10 or a 9 to the beginning of that. So if we add a 10, it'll be 1,096.0 hectopascals. If we add a 9, it'll be 996.0 hectopascals. And then whichever one is, whichever one is closest to 1,000, that's the one that it actually is because you're not going to find sea level pressure at 1096 hectopascals it's going to be closer to a thousand so 996 is much closer to a thousand so that's the one we can assume they've taken a lot of assumptions to put into this one so if you saw that and you're confused about that you know you call a weather briefer or something or get it in a different type of units for from a different type of source rather than your METAR. That's going to be a tough one to remember. It's not going to be something you'll see on your written exam. I haven't seen it as a question on the written exam. If your examiner on your check right asks you about this, I, I apologize. <laughs> it's a tough examiner. Not saying you shouldn't learn it. I'm just saying it's a tough one. Let's continue on with some more examples. SHRA space DSNT space N dash E dash SE and 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 DSNT space NW. So we see some familiar abbreviations here. We see DSNT, we see SHRA, which if you remember 
from before, our precipitation and our descriptors of precipitation. There was SH and there was an RA. And then DSNT. And then we have the N-E and SE. Whenever you see N-E-S-W, you know, you think direction. So the SHRA has no minus or plus sign. And the SH, remember, was showers. RA was rain, so that's rain showers. There's no plus or minus, so that's moderate rain showers. If there was a minus, it would be light rain showers. If there was a plus, it'd be heavy rain showers. Then we have DSNT, which means in the distance, which again is greater than 10 miles. So we have moderate rain showers in the distance from the north to the, through east through the southeast. So in that big span, we have moderate showers in the distance, north through east and east through southeast. And then it says, and DSNT northwest, so NW, which is also in the northwest. So we have a lot of rain showers surrounding us. So we have it from, let's see here, the, the north through the east, all the way through the southeast. Okay, so we have basically north through the southeast, that arc of, of uh, headings. And then we have it also in the northwest, both in the distance, so 10 miles, so we have moderate rain showers. Okay, so let's continue on. Then we have LAST space COR space 0043. What does this example mean? So it's last core 0043. That means the last correction was at 43 minutes past the hour. So you have LAST, which stands for last, obviously, and then COR, if you remember, that's a correction to the automated report, and then 0043. So if there is a correction, they'll probably tell you this in the remarks, tell you when that last correction was made, because that's important information you want to know. Well, is this a correction up to date or is it not? And then you can see, okay, 0043. That's the amount of minutes past the hour. So 43 minutes past the hour. So whatever hour it is, let's say it's you know 1 p.m. Then at 1.43 p.m., that was when the last correction for that report was made. Uh, you may also see a remark of WSXXX, and the XXX stands for numbers, which I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you an example so it could be any three numbers. I just put in X because I could have put in number signs. It says it could be anything, but that's what I wrote in the online ground school. So it could be, but the, the important thing is WS followed by three numbers. And this signifies wind shear at an altitude denoted by the next three digits in hundreds of feet. For example, WS050 would report wind shear at 5,000, right? So hundreds of feet, we get 050, we add two zeros to 050, we get 05000, which is 5000, if you remove that zero at the front. So wind shear at 5000 feet. So look for WS, that's an important one. That'll tell you where you might find wind shear. You may also see a remark of A02 or A01. A01 means that the station does not have a precipitation sensor. Well, A02 means that the station does have a precipitation sensor. So these type of remarks tell you a little bit more information about the sensor. So if you're not seeing, you know, any precipitation 
information in your METAR and you're like, that's weird. There, it looks like there's precipitation. But you see in the remarks that it's A01. That means that the station doesn't have a way to measure precipitation. So it's going to tell you that, give you a little bit more information about the station. Another common remark is hourly temperature and dew point spread that is usually a T followed by, followed by eight numbers. The first four numbers, so let's say T, X, 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 Y, 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 where X, X's are the first set of four numbers and Y is the second set of four numbers. The first four numbers, those X's relate to the temperature, the first of which is a one or a zero. It's a one when temperature is below zero degrees Celsius and a zero when temperature is above zero degrees Celsius. So it's kind of binary. One when it's below, zero when it's above. Then the next two numbers are the temperature. And the last number is the first decimal of the temperature, the 10th decimal place. So why, why would they do this? Well, this is to give you a little bit more detail on the temperature and dew point spread. If, for example, the temperature and dew point are very close, and you really want to know, right? Because when the temperature meets the dew point, that means there's saturation in the air, and you can start to get things like fog and stuff, which you can reduce your visibility. So it's very important to sometimes know if the temperature has met the dew point. And so this will give you a little bit more detail into whether that has happened or not by giving you temperature with more units, so at a tenth of a decimal place. So again, it'll be a T followed by four numbers. That first number is a zero or one. If it's a one, that means it's minus temperature in Celsius. If it's a zero, it means it's positive Celsius. Next two numbers are gonna be, the next three numbers are gonna be the temperature with the last number, the decimal point, right? So if it was, thir uh, let's say 10, two, let's say it was zero, one, zero, two, the zero means it's positive, so it's positive 10.2 degrees is the temperature. The next four numbers, the y in my example, the y's in my example, are going to be the same thing but the dew point. So the first of which is a one or a zero, uh, one when it's below the dew point's below zero degrees Celsius, and zero when it's above when it's positive. The next two numbers are the dew point, and the last number is the first decimal point. So let's say for example that was one, 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 four. The one stands for minus. Then the next two would be, so one, one, four, then 11.4. So minus 11.4 would be the dew point. Okay, the last remark that I want to talk about that I've seen that's kind of common is a P followed by four numbers. This is the hourly liquid precipitation amount in one hundredth of an inch. So if you see just P, think of precipitation. And then if you see three, the number three followed by four numbers, that's going to be a three-hour liquid precipitation amount in one hundredth of an inch. Or you might see a six followed by four numbers, and that is a six-hour liquid precipitation amount in one hundredth of an inch. And so you're going to see that in the remarks section. So let's say you see P0014. That's going to be in the last hour, the liquid precipitation was 0014 
that's one hundredth of an inch. So that's 0.14 inches. So to do that, you just basically take the full number. So the full number is 0014, so that's 14. And then it's one hundredth of an inch. So you move the decimal place two to the left. So instead of 14, it's 0.14. So instead of 14.0, it's 0.14. So that's 0.14 inches in the last hour. And then if you had a three followed by 0014, it would be in the last three hours, it was 0.14 inches. And then if you saw six, that would be in the last six hours. Okay, I need a break. So let's take a quick break and I'm just gonna play something that might be of interest to you guys. And then we'll get back and we'll continue on with TAFs. Hey pilots, it's Nick here from Part-Time Pilot. Did you guys know that you didn't have to spend $1,200 or $1,000 or even $600 to get your very own pair of headsets? Now, when I first heard of Core Headsets, Core Aviation Headsets, I heard from a friend. I had to check them out myself because he said he only got them for $100. And at the time, I was borrowing from a pair of David Clarks from my flight school and I was borrowing these broken down, they, they always had issues and they were always sweaty from the previous student. So I was very curious. I ended up getting gifted a pair of Bose headsets, a $1,200 pair of Bose headsets, but I still wanted to check out a pair of core aviation headsets. And I was super amazed at the amount it compared to my expensive Bose headsets. And it made me think, you know, I was gifted those Bose headsets, but I would never have, especially as a student pilot, bought something so expensive at the beginning of my training career. So these are the perfect flight headsets for a student pilot or a private pilot. And you can get the P1 version at coreheadset.com. You get a P1 version for $109.99 right now. They're having a sale. and Or you can get their KA1 version, which I just bought another pair because I want to see what kind of updates they've made even though my previous KA1s are still working today after three years and I've never had one single comm failure with them. Anyways, the KA1s are also on sale on at $194.99. You can get your brand new quality headsets and it even comes with a five-year warranty. And then the best part about all of this is I already told you it's on sale and they have free shipping, but you can get an additional 10% off if you use the coupon code PARTTIMEPILOT. That's part-time pilot with no spaces. Use the coupon code to get 10% off free shipping plus the sale that they're already having for your very own quality pair of headsets that I myself recommend, highly, highly recommend for a beginner headset student pilot. So go check that out at coreheadset.com. That's core with a K, K-O-R-E-H-E-A-D-S-E-T. That's coreheadset.com and use the coupon code part-time pilot. I'll also put a link in the show notes. All right, so now that we've gotten through that METARS again, not the best for an audio podcast, but hopefully maybe you listen to it a couple times and then maybe you can go on the online ground school and use it as a reference as I talked about. And a great tool for you guys is to go to aviationweather.gov, 
So if you go to aviationweather.gov, and I'm doing it right now so that I know exactly step-by-step step what I'm talking about. And then in the top left corners or the top, there's a button for METARs, TAFs, PIREPs, SIGMETs, AIRMETs. So you can click on one of those, or there's a little search function where you can actually enter in an airport or a city and click go and get local forecasts there. But if you click on like METARs, for example, and then scroll down, you can see one, you see a map of different METARs in a, a graphical format. So they have the little wind barbs, which we'll get to how to read this stuff as well. So you can have the graphical format. You can zoom in, move around the map. Very helpful. Or under request METAR data, there's a little section for IDs where you can just enter in a ICAO code for an airport. So for example, KSAN, K-S-A-N was San Diego airport. And then under format, you can pick raw or decoded. What that means, if you leave it on raw, that's the default, it's gonna give you the METAR with all its abbreviations. But if you click on decoded, it's gonna decode some of that and put it into English, <laughs> right? And, and remove some of those, a lot of those abbreviations that are hard to remember. It's not gonna do it all of them, but it's going to be very helpful. Then you can also click include the TAF if the airport has a TAF. Not all airports, all airports have a TAF and we'll, we'll get to talking about this. And it's, it's the same thing as a METAR, but it's a forecast. METAR is the current conditions at that time at the airport, while a TAF is the forecasted conditions. And then you can just click Get METAR Data. And it's and I for this example, I also included Get TAF. So it's going to show me the METAR and the upcoming TAFs, or the forecasted METARs, which is what a TAF is, for KSAN. And it's going to have the text of the METAR, the, the raw coded text in like a gray background and then it's going to tell you below that sort of it's going to decode it for you so it's going to tell you the temperature the dew point the pressure altimeter winds visibility ceiling and clouds and then it's going to do the same thing for the task so this is a great tool to use to practice deciphering these METARs and TAFs, you can just look at airports around the world and you can actually enter multiple airports by just putting either a space. So in the ID section where you type in KSAN, you can do a space and then enter another airport or a space, or you can do a comma and you can keep doing that as long as they're separated by a space and get multiple airports. If you click go, then you're going to see, okay, then there's the METAR. I did KSEE, which is Gillespie Field in San Diego, and I can see the METAR right now for that as well. And it's also going to tell you the time of these METARs, the date and time at the very top for that data. So very cool tool. That's aviationweather.gov. I'll put that in the show notes, and it's also mentioned in the online ground schools. Let's get to TAFs. We've taken uh, quite a long time on METARs, but that's okay because it's a big section. Let's get to TAFs. Now they read the exact same as METARs. So they're gonna use the same, same format, same abbreviations as a METAR. And as I mentioned, it stands for Terminal Aerodrome Forecast. They follow, like I said, pretty very, very similar format to METARs, but slightly different. TAFs generally consist of five sections from left to right that include the ICAO station identifier or airport, date and time, because you need to know the date. That's important in a forecast because it's not just obvious that it's right now, like a METAR, right? METAR is the conditions right now or in the last half hour or an hour. A TAF, you have to know the time. So they tell you the airport, the time, 
and then a valid time period. So they'll say, okay, this forecast is valid for this amount of time. This forecast was made here at this time, date and time as its origin, and then it's valid for this, this amount of time. And then forecast meteoro meteorological conditions, which is wind, visibility, weather, sky condition, optional data, all that sort of stuff, and forecast change indicators. So it's going to have like a, it's a forecast that's going to tell you different times and then forecast change indicators of when that forecast might change. And then within it, it's going to have a METAR. So it's pretty similar. And we'll, we'll have to show you examples of, of what I'm talking about. But let's go through sort of the differences of a METAR and a TAF and what's specific to a TAF and what that means. So, so the first thing you'll see in a TAF is the ICAO station identifier or airport. That's just like a METAR. So KSAN, for example, for San Diego. Then the date and time of origin. For example, it's going to be 201720Z. The first two numbers are the day of the month. The next four numbers will be the time, again, in military time, just like a METAR. The letter, Z, the letter Z denotes, again, it's in Zulu time. So in our example, 201720, it's going to be the 20th day of the month at 1720 Zulu time. So 520 p.m. Zulu time. Then the next is going to be a valid time period. For example, 201840-2118, the valid time is the amount of time the forecast covers. Even though TAFs are updated about every six hours, they usually forecast for 24 or 30 hours. So they'll they'll update a, they'll give a forecast every six hours, again normally, but usually they cover the time period for the next 24 hours. So the the information you're going to find is supposed to be for the next 24 to 30 30 hours, and this valid time period will tell you how long that forecast is for. The first four numbers are the start of the time period, where the first two numbers of those four numbers are the day of the month, and the last two numbers are the first two numbers of the Zulu time, so the hour. So, for example, 2018 forward slash 2118. So 2018 is the day of the month. So on the 20th at 18, which is 1800, so you basically add two zeros to that number. So at 1800 Zulu time on the 20th is when the forecast starts. And then forward slash 2118, that's 1800 Zulu time on the 21st. 2118, you add two zeros to the 18 to get the Zulu time of 1800. And then the first two numbers, 21, are the day of the month. So it's from 1800 on the 20th to 1800 on the 21st. So that's a 24-hour time period for this particular example. Sometimes it'll be longer than 24 hours. All right, the next you're going to see forecast meteorological conditions. For example, 12014KT, that would be like wind, right? So we see the KT, we think wind, just like a METAR. Uh, this is the meat of the forecast and always follows the form of wind, visibility, weather, sky conditions, and then optional data such as like wind shear, for example. The codes are almost identical to a METARS, but a TAF will only report cumulonimbus clouds, where a METAR will spit out numerous cloud types. Um, and this is a good thing to remember because this is actually a question on the FA written. So the only cloud type that a TAF reports are cumulonimbus clouds because those are rising clouds that have, if you go back to our cloud section, our thunderstorm section, 
those are the dangerous types of clouds. You get the rising air, you get a lot of turbulence, you got a, a lot of bad visibility, lightning, high winds, wind shear, thunderstorms, all that stuff, precipitation. So they only report the cumulonimbus clouds, and that's as a CB. That's the definition, or the the abbreviation is CB. And a METAR, they might give you different sorts of clouds. And then you won't see scattered or few. They'll only just tell you the sky condition will only be the the lowest ceiling, which again, a ceiling definition of a ceiling is broken or overclassed. So they're not going to report scattered or few, just sort of the big picture, t- big ticket items here in a, in a TAF. They also only show the lowest ceiling value, nothing above the reported ceiling. So if there's multiple ceilings, multiple layers of ceilings, they're only going to show you the lowest one. And then you might see P6 sm and if you remember the so sort of the order that tafs go is wind visibility weather sky so we're at visibility the p here stands for plus so p6sm that stands for plus statute miles plus six statute miles so the visibility is at least six statute miles but likely more than that it's plus six statute miles then the next thing you would see would be the weather. So for example, minus RA, minus again stands for light, RA stands for rain, so light rain. Then the next thing you're gonna see in a TAF, again, it goes wind, visibility, weather, sky conditions. So for example, OVC025 would be overcast at 2,500 feet. You Again, the, the 025 is in hundreds of feet. So you add two zeros to that, so 2,500 or 2,500 feet is an overcast layer and again remember taft doesn't care about anything below broken or overcast as in terms of sky coverage and then you might see something like other optional data such as like wind shear wind shear is one of the more important things you want to look out for especially in a taft so to see that you want to see that ws so for example you might see ws 020 forward slash 19030 kt so what this is telling you is that wind shear at 020, again, it's hundreds of feet. So you add two zeros to 020, that's 2,000 feet. There's wind shear at 2,000 feet, and the wind up there is blowing at a general direction of 190. So 19030 KT, that means 190 at 30 knots is the wind up there with some wind shear. So that wind is changing directions and speeds up there that's going to give you turbulence and some problems to fly through so you want to avoid that area that altitude around around that airport all right so next is forecast change indicators so for example you might see fm202200 or tempo t-e-m-p-o 2018 forward slash 2020. If you see an FM or a tempo, this means that the original forecast before this part will be changing. So we, we just read a forecast and then we might see a forecast change indicator like FM or tempo. FM, or which stands for from, is used when the weather will change rapidly from the prevailing condition in less than an hour. Anything after the FM is now the new main forecast. The time format starts with the first two numbers being the day and the last four numbers being the time. After the FM will be the new main forecast meteorological conditions. So in our example, FM202200, that tells us from 
on the 20th, that two zero, first two numbers of the day, at 2200 Zulu, then it would tell us some new meteorolo meteorological conditions, some new weather conditions. That is, from that point on, that's going to be the new forecast. So it'll tell us the forecast up until that point, right? Up until 2200 on the 20th. Before that, and then it's going to say FM on the 20th at 2200, the conditions are going to change quite a bit. And here are those new conditions. This is what it's going to change too. And then tempo or temporary is used when the weather condition will last less than an hour. Has above a 50% probability of occurrence and it'll it will only cover or it'll only cover less than half the period of the TAF. The time group of the tempo is exactly the same as a valid time group in that it starts with the day and then the two digits of the Zulu time. So in our example we had tempo 2018 forward slash 2020. Remember and the valid time for at the beginning of our TAF it was, it was the same format with the forward slash. So this is from the 20th. So 2018 that's on the 20th at 1800 you add two zeros that's the Zulu time from the 20th at 1800 to, and the, so you have forward slash 2020 to the 20th at 2000. So that range from 1800 to 2000 Zulu on the 20th, that's going to be a temporary forecast. And then it, after that would follow new conditions, right? Things like rain, visibility, precipitation, visibility, cloud layers, stuff like that. All right, so I mentioned I didn't mention this for the METAR, but we have a couple examples of a METAR where I spell each and every example so you can see it read out there. We have an example for KBGR for a METAR, and then we have another one for KMFR, and then we have an example for a TAF with KCYS, and then I have a video lesson on that breaks down ex more examples. So check out that video lesson follow along look at these examples in the online ground school and you're following along on this lesson on metars and tasks i will put the video for those listening in the show notes a link to the video in the show notes this has been a tough lesson to do on audio i hope you guys thought it was helpful because it, it was kind of tough to explain these things it's a pretty dry over audio right just saying all these abbreviations and stuff but maybe if you listen to it a few times maybe if you do this with some examples right a uh aviationweather.gov if you go there check it out and you can come back to this lesson and you can kind of see but i think the best thing to have is the online ground school lesson where you can reference this long list of abbreviations see these examples and really get good at sort of memorizing and using this in real life Okay, thank you guys so much for listening. It's been a long one. We will continue next week, next Monday. Remember, we drop one of these every Monday. And then next one, we're going to get into PIREPS. So these are pilot reports. So these are, you know, METARs and TAFs are reports, weather reports from certified weather stations. But then sometimes it's nice to know the actual conditions from an actual pilot who's up there flying in the air not from some instruments, you know, trying to measure the stuff on the ground. So that's what a PIREP is for. It's a pilot report. So we'll get into those. They have a little bit different abbreviations and stuff like that. So we'll get into that and what those means. You will have to know those and do maybe one or two of those on the FA written exam. 
And then we'll probably, that might be a pretty quick one. Then we'll get into area forecasts and graphical area forecasts and stuff like that. So thank you guys for listening and I will catch you next week. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gained, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I just say modern day part-time student pilot. Because let's face it, 
There's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic, again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read, so for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons, you can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices, have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.